Hello everyone, this is Opposing the Matrix. It is the 11th of the 11th month, which is November 2019. 11-11-19. <clears throat> have to look into that one. Um, we have uh, special guests tonight, folks. Not only do you have Jim and Eric and me, but uh, we have a, a fellow that we have known for many, many years, uh, Bob Britton. Bob uh, lives, uh, well, Bob lives. I don't want to give his location. Bob, Bob, Bob lives in, in in the real Vancouver, not the one that's up across the border. Oh, okay, the real Vancouver. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, we're gonna get emails about that. One. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna start with our neighbor. <laughs> yeah, we had Gordy Tong on. He's from Vancouver, so <laughs> the other side. Eh? We actually we actually had people from when they had the Olympics up in Vancouver. We actually had them showing up here. In, in Portland, landing in Portland and coming across the river trying to find the Olympics. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, you know, when I lived, Bob, when I lived in, uh, when I lived in New, uh, Roswell, New Mexico, I'd have all the people paying expensive prices for um, a UFO tour, and they'd come into my store and say, um, "Where's Area 51? How far away is Area 51?" I said, "Oh, 975 miles due northeast." Huh? Yeah. What? <laughs> Yeah, it's not in New Mexico. It's in Nevada. That's a long way away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he also had a piece of metal there. It said an, an authentic artifact from the crash site. When he turned it over, it was a Coke bottle cap or a beer bottle cap. It was a beer cap. Was it a wasn't a lie. It was authentic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. It was, metallic, it was metallic debris from the uh, crash site. And what was, I picked it up myself. <laughs> Folks, uh, tonight we're going to be, uh, or Bob's going to be uh, talking about a subject. Uh, uh, this is uh, called the Book of, U is it Urantia, Bob? So they, they pronounce it Urantia. Okay, Urantia, okay. Um, I don't know very much about this book. I think they were selling it at Roswell when we were down there. I wasn't very interested in it at the time. I should have been. But uh, Bob picked up the uh, picked up the spear, so to speak, and... Uh, <clears throat> And uh, has done a lot of study on the book of Urantia, Urantia. and uh, he's going to explain to us what the book is and, and all about it. So, uh, Bob, why don't you, uh, if you would, uh, I don't, if you if you'd like to, uh, give us a little bit of your testimony, and then uh, and then let us know all about the book of Urantia. Sure, not not a problem. So, um, well, I was raised in pretty much a non-Christian. Um, Growing up, I didn't become a Christian until I was 28. Um, I had some pretty early influences that were were very profound. Um, as as a child, I, I was kind of an only child. My sister had moved off uh, quite early. She's 10 years older than me, and uh, I read a book that I picked up at uh, Safeway when I was about oh, 14 years old or so by some guy named Eric Von Donigan. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was, uh, that was, the, that was the beginning of my, uh, my atheistic, uh, jaunt throughout my next, uh, 14 more years after that. Wow. I pretty much was a card carrying, um, ancient aliens, um, advocate. Um, did not believe that there was a God, had no, like I said, no real Christian upbringing. And so that was during the seventies. And if you, if, if you guys know, and of course you do, you're my age, uh, during the seventies, there was a lot of drugs and alcohol and I got caught up into that, um, that mess, mm-hmm. uh, the typical prodigal son, as you would say. Right. Um, I pretty much lost everything I had. I was living on the streets of San Jose, California. Um, and, uh, my sister, who was a Christian, uh, or is a Christian, she actually invited me to <laughs> a Louis Palau event that they were having at their church. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I'll go along and take a look at this. And I actually accepted Jesus at the Louis Palau event. Oh, wow. And I immediately went and found myself a rehab. Um, and this rehab was a place called City Team in, in downtown San Jose. And it turned out that this place was a Christian rehab. Or drug and alcohol. Um, but the interesting thing about it is they had an 18 month disciple discipleship program. And they basically staffed it with college, uh, Bible college teachers from the San Jose Bible College. And so I was there for 18 months. And frankly, uh, I got a, the equivalent of a two year Bible degree coming out of a Christian rehab. So wow. that was just, uh, that was just, that was just a blessing in, in, in disguise, and I, I had no idea that's what it was when I got into it. Mm-hmm. So I went off, got married, um, and I've been married for 30, oh, better get the year right, 33 years. <laughs> uh, um, and I've been, I went and got a job uh, with a semiconductor equipment company back then. Uh, it was, we had about 180 people uh, in our company. Basically, we supplied semiconductor test equipment to um, the fabs of the world, like Intel and um, Samsung and the, and the like. That company now, and I'm still there after 34 years, is up to 10,000 employees. Wow. And we're doing real well. And that's where I got the opportunity. Um, the, the company that I work for, KLA, has got a very big Israeli component within its uh, ranks. They have a manufacturing facility in northern israel and i was actually able to go there i get to go there about every couple of years and talk about a mm-hmm. talk about a blessing there is i have your company send you to israel for whatever time you want and i recently i just got back from there actually last week this is my first week back just getting over the jet lag <laughs> um, and uh and the older you get the worse the jet lag gets <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Oh my goodness, man! It's everything. <laughs> when I was in my forties, it wouldn't. It took me two two days. Now it's like a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that I I did on this trip, which was kind of interesting, um, was that I got to. I was going to go down to uh, Jerusalem and go to the uh, shrine of the book, but I didn't get a chance to do that because I'm on. You know, when you're on work time, you have to pretty much do with what they give you. So I had a I had a good day off. So I we had a chance to actually wander through both Nazareth and then spend most of the day on Mount Carmel. Nazareth was a little depressing, actually. I was kind of interesting that it's it's pretty much an Arab town now. Right. Um, there's very few uh, Hebrew speaking people actually there. 
I, I didn't feel any uh, any animosity while I was there. I mean, we would go to Nazareth. My my company's like a stone's throw from there, so we would go to Nazareth for lunch every day. Um, um, but it was that yeah, was a little bit of a downer. I mean, walking through the hills of, of Nazareth, you know, thinking where Jesus was was walking, and it's completely different today. Yeah. Mm. You know, and we we went to Mount, and then my my hotel was actually on almost on the top of Mount Carmel, which mm. you know, and, and at the time we were having these humongous thunderstorms where bolts of lightning were just shooting down and hitting the mountain all over the place, and then all of a sudden I thought of well, this is this is this is kind of interesting. I couldn't think of the help but think of the account of Elijah's confrontation with the priests of Baal and Asherah, right? Yeah. yeah. So they they were using that very mountain that I'm on as a site of sacrifice. Yeah. Elijah comes along to defend the God of Israel, and there was what 800 plus priests of Baal and Asherah yeah. were there, and right. against this one Hebrew prophet, right? And and so. They were called upon. They were calling upon their gods to consume that sacrifice, and they were unsuccessful. And Elijah walks up and soaks the the wood with water, and you know calls upon the God of Israel, and boom, you know it says the account says that the fire of the Lord burned up not only the sacrifice but the wood, the stones, the water in the trench. Yeah. So he basically proved at that point who the real God was and is. And as I'm wandering through that that city uh, or the top of Mount Carmel the next day after the, the thunderstorms, I was thinking about, you know, I was thinking about actually I was thinking about what we were talking about tonight with the Arantia book. And, and I'm wandering through and I see that on the very top of the hill is a huge, beautiful garden. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know what this is. And I look, well, guess what? It was the Baha'i Gardens. Oh no! So the so yeah. the Baha'i faith has a very very large presence on the top of Mount Carmel. Oh my gosh! And uh, I I couldn't help but put the two things together. I'm thinking, you know, you you look at what the Baha'i believes. It's it's an all inclusive. Everybody's everybody's uh, saved. Everybody's all one. Yeah. And when you look, and what we're going to talk about with the Arantia book tonight is 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 they have a very similar universalist view of salvation. Mm-hmm. So that, that was my trip. That was a, that was a lot of fun, but getting back to my, my thing. So basically what happened was as I, uh, as a new, very kind of a baby Christian, I went back and got some basic Bible calls. I don't know if you remember, uh, if any of you guys remember Zola Levitt. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Very well. Yeah. yeah. I, I I just love that show. So I, I actually got involved in his uh, his ministry a bit, and I got so I did some training through his thing because it gave me a really good kind of a focus on the Jewishness of the Bible, where I didn't I was not getting that in church, uh-huh. right? So that was that was a that was a big blessing, and so I was just going along being a, a young Christian. We had moved up to a town called Grass Valley in California. Uh, with the three acres and living on the top of a hill right next to my in-laws. And then I got a call from her mom and her mom, uh, as far as I knew, was, was, a, was a Christian. She always talked. She had a Bible out. She read the Bible a lot. Right. She actually said that she, uh, she was a believer. She believed in Jesus. I got a call from her one day and she basically told me that she found this book that explained all the questions that they had about the Bible. Um, all the questions that she had about the afterlife, um, concerns about uh, the Apostle Paul, of him being deceived, that the text of the Bible was corrupted. 
Oh, um, and then, then that Jesus didn't have to die for our salvation. And so I'm at that point going, what is she reading? <laughs> you know, oh, my goodness. so, so I, I, she lives next door. So I wandered over and we started talking about it. And I found out really soon that even though I had a lot of Bible knowledge, I really did. I was not equipped for, for, to be able to refute the things that she had. Mm she had brought out. So um, I decided to, at that point, um, get into uh, studying the, the Urantia book. And that's how I ended up with, with you guys. Um, oh. uh, I, I ended up seeing that this, this one, this one quote that was in the Urantia uh, foundations paperwork. And it said, they said that they were utterly convinced that during 1906 to 1955, Non-material beings of a superhuman intelligence and maturity interface regularly with a group of six mortals for the purpose of providing a religious revelation of, of major significance. Huh. And I'm thinking, wow, what is that? And then it turned out to be, like I said, it was, it was, it was this rancher book that uh, my mother-in-law had been reading. So huh. my, my, my dilemma was there really wasn't, and you're talking, this is right around 2000. Really wasn't a, a lot on the internet in, in those days. Mm-hmm. There was there, there was some. Uh, you remember? I, I that's how I found you guys. I found you guys. I found uh, William Alnor. Um, Ide Thomas had some some stuff out there. Right. I and, and, and after all of my all of my studies in re, at that point probably read the Bible uh, two or three times through the Genesis six paradigm and the you know, the De- Deuteronomy 32 um, paradigm also never really, never really hit. Nobody ever spoke about that stuff. You guys were the only ones that were actually talking about that stuff. And so it was an eye opener to me um, to be looking at those Ancient of Days videos and, and, and tying that together with with this whole UFO thing. Because, you know, when, you, when you're living out in the middle of nowhere, and that's where we lived, um, <laughs> there's not a whole lot out there. There was like three TV programs in the radio. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So at night, at nighttime, she would listen to Art Bell. Uh-huh. And, and mm. you know, some of the stuff Art Bell had on there um, was a lot of it was, was UFO related. And so she had. She had adopted this this view that the UFOs were 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 real, and I agree with that. Um, but she also believed that they were our benevolent brothers coming to to help us out for the for a future time. And it was really kind of frustrating because, like I said, there was no definitive Christian book on the subject. There was only uh, one website. It was called the UrantiaBookHoax.org site. Um, it was uh, basically a guy had posted stuff to refute what the Arantia book said. That site is is currently gone. You can no longer access it. Um, there was some there was some spotty anti cult sites um, and some scholarly papers on the subject, but there really wasn't anything Christian wise that w- that I could bring to the table other than you know the biblical reasons why I didn't you know you shouldn't believe it. Um, but and when you look at the Arantia book, there is there is statements within the Arantia book that that basically says that the Bible is is suspect. It's corrupted. It's suspect. So you really shouldn't believe that. Believe what we got written here, right? So, right. 
so that was uh, that was my frustration, and, and I'm so grateful to you guys because you had the only material that were uh, that was out there that had anything to do with with the, the Bible and UFOs that made any sense. Um, and so she uh, she slowly began to uh, read your books. In fact, we were we were talking off air about your old uh, wire bound version yeah. of the beyond science fiction the yeah. last time i saw that uh, she has passed away now here for the last couple of years but the last time i saw physically saw that that book it was completely all the wire stuff was gone and she had a huge clip on it so she was she had read it so many times oh my gosh she i didn't so realize you had a wire bound version of your uh your oh, book gem yeah you hold it you're holding out on me. <laughs> well, now, now keep your eyes open. If you find one, man, they're rare. Because, I mean, you know, and I actually, I had I sold quite a bit of those. That was the first, when I first moved to Roswell, that was the first book that I had, uh, was in publishing. And, and I had published it myself, and I was doing it out of the store there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they're, they're out there. But, uh, boy, I haven't seen one in ages. I mean, I don't even have one myself. So, if you hunt it down or anybody listening, you know of a the cookbook version. Uh, I'm sure there's some out there. I got one right on my shelf over here. A cookbook version? Yep. That's why I bought it from you down in Roswell in your, in your store when you had it down you. there. Oh, I need to get one. What can we do? Let's barter after the show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so anyway, the last time I saw that copy of that, I actually bought her a newer version of uh, Beyond Science Fiction before she passed away and she read it again. Um, but uh, the last time I saw the, the wire brown copy, it was held together by a big clip because she had broken it <laughs> by reading it so many times. But um, anyway, so long story short, I mean, it, it, we moved her up here and um, I kept giving her the information that, that I would find and talk to her about, you know, the why I felt that the Bible was really the, the source of truth. Um, and before she passed on, she actually... Uh, did renounce the Urantia book and put her faith in Jesus alone for her salvation. So, Praise the Lord. So, guys, you know, you, you, you kind of wonder, you kind of wonder what your works are going to do to mm-hmm. to help people along and, and, and struggle with get out of the struggles of, of, of the cults and whatever. But you know, your your books your books do that. In fact, the, the Unholy Communion was one book that that really kind of put the nail in the coffin, I think, for her because. She was metaphorically you know, speaking, right? Yes, metaphorically yeah, okay. speaking. Okay. <laughs> uh, so she, uh, um, she, she uh, decided that you know the the whole she could never understand the whole uh, abduction phenomenon, and, and you know because because the Arantia book basically paints a picture that they're all benevolent friends and they're here to help us, right? Right. And uh, she couldn't she couldn't match that with what she was hearing on Art Bell about about abductions and stuff. And the holy the unholy communion basically showing that the name of Jesus would actually stop these abductions and stop the harassment really was the thing that actually pushed her over and said, you know what? Uh, she brought me the Urantia book out on her patio and says, you can do what you want with this. I don't have nothing to do with it anymore. So oh, wow. it's good, it's good work. Good work, guys. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm blessed. Thank you. But but they but but that caused me a bigger problem because then I was complaining that well there is no real Christian version, there is no real Christian ministry or anybody out there that 
that comes against directly addresses it, right? No, they they don't. There there is uh, there was one uh, book written uh, to refute the Arantia book. It was written by a guy named Martin Gardner. Martin was a uh, a deist at best. Uh, definitely not a theist. Mm. Definitely not a Christian. And he did a really good job of refuting the Arantia book from its sources and and and, and its uh, and its kind of this heresy. But it did it more on the science side of it. We'll talk about that here in a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, it never really pointed anybody to Jesus. It, it just basically said, "This is not, this is garbage. Don't read this." Right. Mm-hmm. So I decided at that point was, you know, you know, I kept saying, "Lord, please raise up somebody to to do this," and uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody popped up. And I kept saying, "Lord, please, please raise up somebody to do this," and nobody popped up. And I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning, and I'd, and I'd be hearing that still small voice, you know, like. Yeah, I just did. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. I can add this one thing. Um, You know, you were the one that actually brought my attention to the book in the first place. I had heard of it, but vaguely didn't really know a lot about it. The more I learned about this, the more I realized, you know what? I just don't have the time to do this, but somebody has got to take a step and give a good presentation. This that book is almost like a Bible to many of the UFO followers and believers. There's so many people. This is a major work of garbage that a huge amount of people have embraced and accepted as gospel truth. Many majors do too. Not, um, Not even ones directly connected to the UFO community, but many of the new age leaders, movers, shakers, followers, all the shows that I did in new age, um, shows, um, they always refer to that book. And I thought, my gosh, this thing has such a huge impact. I just don't have time to, um, you know, I'm only one person. I can go, only, go in so many different directions. So I started praying, Lord, you know, bring somebody that can solidly, you know, refute this stuff from a biblical background. And then here's my buddy. <laughs> so it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've been praying. Well, you've Good, been, work. Good work, Jim. It just didn't know that it was going to be you. <laughs> yeah. Well, have you guys have you guys ever actually uh, ever drank any uh, tea called Celestial Seasonings? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah remember a that? Times. I always oh, felt funny about drinking. I think it. I know where you're going with that too. Yeah, yeah. The the owner of Celestial Seasonings, he isn't now, but the owner, the, the original creator of that, he would actually put your Rancher book quotes actually on the on the the boxes. Oh my he, god. He owned he owned the social seasonings. They sold it out a, a few years later. I mean, and the interesting thing about him, his name was Mo Siegel. He actually uh, he actually was was Catholic, and he was in monastery. And he was uh, he was spent two years living in a monastery studying for the priesthood. And he walks out of that, and he picks up the Urantia book, and boom, huh. he's now a Urantian. So uh, you know, it's a uh, it, it's a very deceptive, enticing book, and we'll talk more about that. There was a movie called Celestine Prophecy, and it was based on a lot of the material from Urantia, and it was also connected to the guy that you're just talking about, because all of that was like interconnected, hinged on the commonality being the book uh, Urantia. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's been a lot of people uh, throughout the years that have been well-known um, Urantians. Uh, Jimi Hendrix was a was a big uh, follower of it. Not really surprising. <laughs> um, somebody might know that, not know this, but um, Kelly Carey, uh, Carey Livgren, the guitarist and lead writer for Kansas, mm-hmm. the rock group Kansas, was a big 
uh, Urantia. He actually has a book out called Seeds of Change when he became when he became a Christian, and he's got a chapter in there that talks about his struggle with Urantia. I mean, he was basically what he did was he went to uh, he he knew a couple Christians and he was going to try to convert them to the book of Urantia. So he brought the book down and he started this year long um, discussion about about the Urantia book in the Bible. And he ends up becoming a Christian in in, in, uh, in the long run. So that was a, that was a good outcome from that. But if you ever listen to Kansas songs, they do have a lot of spiritual focus. And, and that's because he was reading the book of Urantia at the time. Yep. That's, I was going to ask you about that because a lot of their songs do. Um, and yep. they, you know, and they, they also had a, um, well, you know, they say that Satan was the music minister in heaven. Uh, so, you know, if, if he's going to write something that's very influential and want, he wants people to listen to it, of course, it's going to have the right, the right uh, tone. It's going to have the right melody. It's going to have the, some awesome guitar in it and awesome drums in it, stuff like that. And that's what that group had all the time. Yeah. 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 I, I, I liked him. And, but yeah, you're right. It, that, it, that was a, that was a draw. And, uh, he, uh, he really, he was a big proponent of the Arantia religion. While he was uh, playing with the group, mm-hmm. the and it's yeah. bass, sorry, go ahead. The bass guitar player for Iron Butterfly ended up becoming. Now he wasn't the first one; he was the second bass guitar player that that uh, be, took over and became uh, uh, Iron Butterfly's. Um, you know, the the guys that did Inagata De Vita. Uh, oh. He ended up becoming a theoretical physicist. And he was working with the government. He actually repaired the MX missile and made it our number one missile. He broke up. Uh, the guy was like a genius. Um, wow. But he, he was a guy, guitar player. He ended up becoming a theoretical physicist for the Department of Defense. And he worked on a formula that could send material objects through space time to another dimension and break the time barrier. He developed this. Then all of a sudden he's working in black ops stuff with the government. He finds out there's a bigger picture. It's connected to. Um, UFOs, aliens, time travel. He was telling this stuff to his family. And then he realized because there was a bigger picture, he had joined this new age organization called, uh, based on the Celestine prophecy, which was in turn, like I said, based on Urantia. He, there was, they had their own little cult organization group and it was founded from the influences of Urantia. Well, his family was determined that he went insane and went crazy. And was uh, when he started talking about UFOs, aliens, and time travel, they said he was crazy. I put in one of my videos his story and what eventually happened to him. He was on his way uh, to a place in California to inform the public of what he'd become aware of. And instead, the way the government official reports, he disappeared. For four years, he was gone. They discovered his van in the bottom of a ravine on his way to where he was going to try to do his part to expose all of this. He decided to commit suicide and tumble down there and die. So I had alluded in one of my videos that he didn't die by suicide. His um, wife got a hold of me and said, thank you for saying that, because I've been trying to tell my family this for years, that he didn't kill himself. He loved his family more than he loved life. But the family contacted me. They were upset because I was alluding to the fact that he had died by the government. And they said, no, you don't understand. He went insane. He went crazy. He was talking all this crazy talk and everything. And I and I said, excuse me, you're you're telling me your relatives said what? And then he repeated. And I said, thank you. I wanted you to do that. So I hope you don't mind. I'm recording this. But um, 
I needed to know that. You just verified everything that you said is exactly the truth. I know you're going to think I'm crazy now. This was like in the late 90s, early 2000, when I had a discussion with them about this. Um, and it was still current like news when they had discovered his body and I think it was 95 or something. So um, I told him, I said, thank you. You just verified for me everything that I knew. And they told me about the Celestine cult that he was in. And I said, okay, I, I understand that. But your relative did not die as a coward taking his life and, and a crazy. He died as an American hero that felt a duty and an obligation to inform the public of the important connections. His concern was that we were tampering with something that was dangerous. We could be creating a, a literal black hole that could, you know, mess up the whole space-time continuum. He wanted it known because he loved you and everyone else in his country. And I said, you ought to be, you know, thankful that he was willing to pay that price to try to inform you. I said, what sounds crazy today, I guarantee you later, you're going to understand this as actually truth. Well, you know what? 15 years later, and now this is a hot topic everywhere. Yeah. It's, wow. Not the talk of crazy mad people. So again, the Urantia book needs to be addressed. We need to have better answers. A lie is made more believable if it's sandwiched between an element of truth. Yep, yep. I, I, like I said, I believe they're probably the fastest growing UFO cult that's out there currently. I mean, the the Urantia book people, the folks who actually you know follow this book, they would argue that they're not a UFO religion. I would argue that they actually are because if you look at it. Um, Jacques Vallée, actually, in his book, um, Messengers of Deception, UFO right. Contacts and Cults, mm -hmm. he actually has a section on, on, on the Arantia group. He actually went to San Francisco. I think he lives in San Francisco, but I think he went to a Urantia Book Fellowship, uh, meeting in San Francisco and sat down and, and started talking to him. And he came away from him saying that, oh, yeah, that, I mean, that this book ties even though it tries to come off as, as some kind of a, a religion, it really ties the UFO community into, into, into this religion. So it's very seductive. And like I said, they're very, anybody who's predisposed to a UFO paradigm will definitely uh, pick up the, the rancher book and feel right at home. Right. I, I don't, I don't think they're a cult per se. I mean, a lot of people call them a cult. I mean, they're not a cult because they really have no formal church. There's no hierarchy within their, um, their, uh, their, um, I guess uh, their religion, I guess you could call it. Um, there's just thousands of these study groups out there in online classes. I'd say there's probably a million, a million and a half now, as far as I can tell, of wow. people that are, that are actually actively involved in the, you know, the, the study and the, the, uh -huh. the, uh, Reading, reading of the Urantia book. Bob, wouldn't you, uh, you compare this? Couldn't you compare this maybe to like uh, replacement theology? Replacement theology is a philosophical, theological concept of the church replacing Israel totally in a spiritual yeah. sense, yeah. and so it doesn't have a definite denomination or anything, but it's a shared belief system that crosses all the borders of denominations and everything by concept, so that it's kind of permeated on its idea not an organized religion wouldn't you say it would pretty much the same yes absolutely absolutely i mean when you when you read your answer book and you'll go into a little bit about what's in it um you'll realize that the the whole jewishness of the book even though it's you know 800 pages of it is 
is centered in Israel, um, it, it really doesn't, it, it has the church, you know, the, the, the Christian church has replaced uh, the, the actual church. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, 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 it's really kind of a mess. It, 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 the whole origin of the Arantia book really remains unclear. You know, basically there's a lot right. of information on it. There's, it, it consists of about 196 papers on various topics that would be, you could think of as, you know, cosmology, theology, philosophy, metaphysics, um, anthropology, the history of religion. This is all inclusive, inclusive in there because there's 2,097 pages in this work. Oh my goodness. So it's, it's huge. Um, there's a bunch of different so-called non-human authors, um, with You're a bunch like of channeled entities, channeled entities, as far as you can tell. And they, and boy, I tell you, there's one thing you don't want to argue somebody at the rancher book about it, about it being a channeled book. <laughs> they do not believe it's a channeled book. And, and, and I think that's basically from a very narrow, narrow view of what they call channeling. Right. Um, but it, it has guys in there called the chief of the cores of the super, uh, super universe, the Orvanton divine counselor. Um, there's a whole bunch of these paradise deities that have uh, authored this. And there's an interesting thing is uh, uh, someone did a study on, on the Arantia book and they tried to, try to, I guess you could, you can actually have a study where you can decide by the content how many different authors have actually, um, put into the actual work, you know, by looking at writing styles. Uh-huh. And there were nine different authors okay. that they can, that they can, they can pick out. There's, there's nine separate entities that have done this. And if anybody knows anything about the nine, um, oh, yeah. there, 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 there's a, there's a tie, there's a tie into that. And we're going to cover that a little bit later. Good. Good. Okay. Oh, like Deep Space Nine, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, when I saw the number nine, I went, oh yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what the Urantia book actually is. Okay, so there's it's broken into four four complete different sections. The first section it is called the Central and Super Universe, and this is I'm going to be reading right from their their uh, source, so I don't misquote them. It says it basically gives an understanding of the physical and spiritual structure of the universe a universe that is spirit-dominated and personally managed, basically millions of inhabited planets teeming with life. The second the second section of the Arantia book is called the local universe, and that basically contains the overview of life after death. That's going to be really an interesting thing. Um, the adventure of life in the local universe. It contains background on how our life evolved, and key on that word evolved, uh, local universe administration, a compelling vision of human destiny, and that evolution is a fact and on every progressing planet. So that it's also, yeah, that figure. So you can kind of get where we're going with that one. Right. The third section of it is uh, is called the history of Urantia. And Urantia, the, the book of Urantia is really the book of Earth. Urantia is what we, what they call or what the rest of the universe calls Earth. So we are Urantia. So they renamed us. We're not Earth. It gives basically the third section gives a detailed history of our world, a, um, a new perspective on evolution and creationism, 
creationism, a history of uh, religious spiritual development. It revitalizes the art, or I can't read that word on there. It basically revitalizes the Judeo-Christian religion, including the rebellion of Lucifer, Adam and Eve, and the visit of Melchizedek and Abraham. So we'll talk mm. about them down down the ways. <laughs> and finally, the fourth and most important in my eyes of the book is the life and teachings of Jesus. It was given by a midwayer. Midwayers are what they what the Arantians call angels. Basically, there was an angel that was assigned to the apostle Andrew, and he followed the apostle Andrew throughout his life. And he's given, and he's kind of given the uh, the blow by blow of what happened with Jesus throughout his his lifetime. And I thought that was kind of odd because it says that he was assigned to the apostle Andrew. Then how could he have given the early days of Jesus's life if he was assigned to the apostle Andrew? So I I can't yeah. I can't get I can't figure the, the logic there. Just it's a sideline side study, you know. Just, yeah. And, and so, so what they say is basically section four contains the most spiritually compelling, compelling story of Jesus anywhere in print, provides a detailed narrative of Jesus' entire life, including the so-called missing years. All the years that you don't get in the Bible, the Arantia book covers them. His discourses, his parables, the significant life events, his crucifixion and resurrection. Hmm. Interesting. Resurrection. Yeah. So this life and teaching of Jesus is supplemented by an extensive spiritual cosmology provided in the first three sections of the Arantia book. So that was basically the Arantia book's foundation's um, 50 cent tour of what you're going to read in the book. <laughs> um, and what is and what is what they call the Arantia book? Well, they call it an epochal revelation. And they say basically the Arantia book was the fifth epochal revelation that was given to mankind so i went back and i looked okay what were the first four well the first one was five hundred thousand years ago lucifer and satan two separate beings rebelled mm -hmm. rebelled 37 planets joined in and this planet and the current planet urantia is quarantined and this five hundred thousand years ago oh we're we're in time out there right Yes. yes. Well, we're not. We're, we'll talk about that. We're not anymore. We're actually time We've been absolved. We've been absolved. So we're, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I love it. So um, <laughs> the second, the second epochal uh, revelation in the Arantia book was that Adam and Eve arrived on Earth. Now mm. they weren't the first humans, according to the Arantia book. We'll talk about that. Um, but their mission was to improve the gene pool, basically race blending. Mm. Mm. We'll talk about that next. Kind of bizarre. The third epochal revelation was Melchizedek initiated and to prepare for the Messiah. And the fourth epochal revelation was Jesus, of course. And the fifth, and the fifth was the Arantia book. So funny thing is, you don't find the Bible listed anywhere in those revelations. So they're really minimizing what the Bible is all about. Right. Mm. Right. Uh, let's go into some of the kind of the doctrines that you'll find within the Arantia books. Uh, so the Trinity, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, yeah, it's, it's in the Arantia book, but Jesus is not directly a part of it. It is called the paradise Trinity. It consists of the universal father or God, the father and the somebody else called the eternal son. That's not Jesus and the infinite spirit. 
Jesus is not the eternal son. He's an offspring of that paradise trinity. So he's a, he's a created being. Huh. So, um, as, as is all these creator sons, there's more than one Jesus throughout the, the universes. So when we pray or worship Jesus, we're not addressing God directly, but only addressing him through Jesus, who is God's personal representation in our local universe huh. here on your ranch. Here. And when you, you, you go to the, the next section, uh, basically there was no fall of man. Um, miracles within the, uh, your, your ranch books section on Jesus. I'd say about half of them. I've read all the way through the whole 800 pages that is the Jesus, uh, the Jesus papers. And I'd say about half, about half of them are attributed to real, real, uh, miracles. The rest of them are, are, are denied as fabrications or somebody just, you know, expounded on something that happened. So they didn't actually happen. So, so they're constantly throughout the, the book of, the Jesus papers um, in section four, they're constantly poking at the Bible for its authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, while the book itself doesn't actually deny the fact of the cross, it denies the, necess- the necessity for our salvation. Instead, the cross is simply an opportunity for Jesus to overcome evil with good and extend love and forgiveness to his enemies. Jesus did not rise in a physical body. Um, he arrived, he arrived in something that and I, I still can't believe this, this word that they chose. Um, and this is from the authors, from the so-called revelators that gave this information to the founders of this book. Um, the form that we will, uh, um, take in our next world after death is called Morantia. 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 Moron. Morantia. So, oh, great. <laughs> I know a lot of people have taken that form already. <laughs> when I saw that, I thought that was just an odd name to use for it. But then I thought, you know what? If if I believe that Satan is ultimately the, the behind priest? behind this, yeah, I could see him poking fun of us and calling us more. Oh, heck of us. Yeah. 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 You know what else is interesting, more too? On. That I'm going to give you eternal life. Yeah, that was last week that the Pope came out and said that Jesus did not rise bodily. I saw that. Yeah. Maybe he's he's got his own copy of the book we read. It actually is a theme that you can find throughout just about anything nowadays. I mean, the UFO community, the the Urantia book, and and, and we're going to talk about other channeled works here a little bit later, but all of that, it always denies the bodily and any type of bodily resurrection and, um, and the atonement. I wonder, you know, so was Jesus just teasing and, and, and make, you know, making light to Thomas when he said, see, you know, touch my hands, touch my sides. You know, he was very physical and he was trying to make that point to Thomas. Yeah. Well, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't hear him say, Hey, moron, look at my hands. says, Hey, you know, jump your spirit out of uh, your body into this uh, uh, cloned, uh, um, oh, what do they call it? Sur- you know, surrogate body here. This thing will live forever. Just go ahead, moron. Jump into this thing. Now you got uh, your moronic uh, eternal life. Tricks on you, though. 
Yep. It ain't real. You stop being human, and now you can sit there and do the backstroke with me in the lake of fire forever. Ha ha. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was I thought that was just kind of interesting, uh, kind of a strange play on words, and I don't know why yeah. they thought of that. But anyway, so basically, the your ancient book claims that the gospel that is present day Christianity is not the actual gospel of Jesus, but a distorted hybrid of truth and error that comes mostly from the apostles Peter and Paul. And I can understand why they would want to go after Paul because Galatians one eight, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, you want to you want to discredit Paul, and not from Jesus himself. You see, Jesus did not come to rescue us from the consequences of sin, but to bring us salvation. And he says that we're he's supposed to make us God's children so we can join God's family. But no, Jesus came in to teach us that we're already part of God's children; that we already have salvation. Right. And we don't need redemption because salvation is basically a given. It's built into the mechanism of creation. Ooh. So, yeah. Scary doctrine. Yeah, well, it's, it's actually a doctrine that, that was floating around back in the early 20th centuries. We're going to talk about this. Right. That's about, about the time that this book came out. Um, there was a very liberal Protestant theologians had this acronym uh, i don't know if you guys have ever heard of it it's called fog bomb f-o-g-b-o-m oh that sounds familiar it's a big masonic term the, the, the mason the masons use this a lot it's called the fatherhood of god and the brotherhood of man uh-huh. yeah so um reading reading out of, out of the rancher book about the atonement here is uh, out of paper 188 it says all this concept of atonement and sacrificial salvation is rooted and grounded in selfishness. Jesus taught that service to one's fellows is the highest concept of the brotherhood of spirit believers. Salvation should be taken for granted by those who believe in the fatherhood of God. The believers chief concern should not be with selfish desire to have personal salvation, but rather the unselfish urge to love and therefore serve one's fellow as Jesus loved and served mortal men. So, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, you know, in, in Matthew 7, uh, chapter, uh, I think it's verse 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate, right? Yep. Where the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So it looks like the broad way to salvation is in the Urantia book. It's a dangerous, it's dangerous to believe that salvation is so cheap that only believing that I'm a son of God, uh, because I believe in the fatherhood of God is, is, uh, is practically a, a doctrine from hell. Salvation is on autopilot. It's just a man. That's the system, the way the universe is designed. Yep. yep. Uh, we're yeah. all going. We're all going. That's really easy. Yep. yep. There, and there is no, of course, there is no hell. <laughs> there is no physical place in the universe called hell. The Father in heaven is not a. This is a, this is their words. Their Father in heaven is not a vengeful God that takes pleasure in tormenting his erring children. The consequence of a selfish and sinful life is not imprisonment where we would burn for eternity. If there is a temporary hell, it is where we live in separation from God. Permanent hell could be thought of as revocable separation from God, and then you're going to see you're going to see why um, why they. Why this was actually in the Arantia book. I have I have my own reasons to believe why they do this. So basically, um, on basic Arantia beliefs that that um, there is a great gulf that exists between God and human beings, which we agree that there is. 
But unlike the Bible, which describes this gulf as being caused by sin, the Urantia book instead says that the gulf is just caused by distance. Huh. We are finite. The, you know, God is infinite. Therefore, God needs some way to communicate to our finite minds in a way that we can comprehend. So each creator's son represents God to his local universe. Now, remember, Jesus is the creator's son. Right. And if you read in Colossians, he was the one who created the world, right? Uh-huh. So um, they they hold to that kind of. I'll, I'll tell you why they, they don't really. And this means that Jesus is not literally God, but is God for all practical intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the answer lies a trait tried to play both sides of the fence when it comes to the deity of Christ. You know, on one hand, Jesus loses his uniqueness as the second person of the Trinity because, you know, there's, according to the Arantia book, there's 700,000 of these creator sons. Mm. Oh so there's 700,000 versions of what Jesus is to us throughout the universe. Or, or 700,000 bigger un- uh, other neighborhoods, let's put it that way, next to ours. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, it, and, and, but on the other hand, if you when you read the Arantia book, it makes several references that Jesus is God, you know, and almost like affirming the doctrine of incarnation by referring to him as fully God and fully man. I mean, it says that in the Arantia book, huh. but but it, it even it even calls Jesus the Father incarnate in in page one in their paper one eighty two, but this only means that Jesus embodies God's nature, not that he's actually God. The Arantia book's take is that Jesus' primary mission was was to reveal the Father to us. He is not physically God. Right. Isn't that saying pretty much that, that you, as a believer, is going are going to end up in the same situation where you become your own God? It's not that you're, you know... Yes. So, yes. Right, right. so yes. That's Absolutely. But they're doing it in a way that sounds so Christianese. It sounds like the same thing the Bible's saying. So oh, yeah. And that's the way the enemy works. He speaks perfect Christianese yeah. or biblical-ish. Well, biblical-ish and biblical fact are two different things. But right. too many people don't aren't aware of that. They treat the Bible very um, disrespectfully by by loosely thinking that that it's a book like any other book. I read it, I see what the first surface is, and that's all I need to know. No, you don't. There's five different levels. Oh or, yeah. That the Hebrew had had created this, and so you actually have to study to show yourself aware, uh, being able to know even what's being said to who and where and understand the situations. But nobody treats the Bible with that kind of respect unless your eyes have already been open. You're seeking God with your whole heart, but most people just settle for something that's biblical-ish. Well, what I've seen here, Bob, is that I've seen a little bit of Mormonism here, and I've seen a little bit of Jehovah's Witnesses here. Funny you brought that up. (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We really didn't talk about this show, folks, before the show. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't, but it's key that you picked up on that because we'll, we'll talk about that. One one of the things that's that's interesting is that you know it calls Jesus the Creator and in, in, in virtually God, but in reality, when you read the Urantia book, how life was brought to this planet was not created by um, Jesus Himself. Life is actually uh, on each of their um, life-giving planets that, that this is going on, and there's millions of them out there. Um, they have this thing called life carriers, um, and it's a being, it's some kind of an entity that goes to that planet, right? And so 
basically, let me read this right out of out of their their stuff. It says life does life carriers designs take take form. They take planets and stick around to monitor the development. So they they go to the planet, they monitor the development, and according to your answer book, there's a hundred million of these life carriers in the universe. They're out there doing this, or creating they're creating life out there. They're not creators per se, but catalysts for creation. So basically, they you know Jesus says go create life, and, and they go to the planet and they create the life. So frankly, the process is way too complex and confusing to outline here, but it falls in line with the idea that the universe is teeming with life out there. Um, and that's why we have all of these visitors um, coming to our planet, and they're busy planting new life throughout the throughout the stars. Hmm. The weirdest thing about the life carriers is it says, "Oh yeah, you know, Jesus is you know the the, the head of of this of this uh, of this world," but it says Lucifer is called the sovereign of the life carriers on Urantia. Really? So once again, he sticks his head in there and says, "No, this is mine." I did this. I mean, you can, I mean, all the way through the Urantia book, you can hear, you can hear the words, did God really say? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you hear. Did God really say that? It's constant. It's the same lie back in the garden. Did God really say that? And the five I wills in Isaiah too, I'm getting out of this. Yeah. Yeah. So his, you know, frankly, Satan hasn't changed his strategy whatsoever. Right. You know, they have a new academic name for that. They call it panspermia. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly what this would be. It would be they're bringing life to this planet artificially. Hmm. In my in my museum, I got a little cartoon picture. And it's got a, for panspermia, the bottom line is, who's your daddy? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It, uh, uh, panspermia says that some some of this has been done randomly so that you're like a star seed that's just traveling through a meteorite or something else and it crashes the earth and then life evolves from that and others it's by special design delivery by aliens who are actually um sending ships out with star seeds Ah. planted in every you know every world around so in a picture of uh, a spaceship with a stork uh on one wing and on the other wing is uh, uh, Amazon.com, uh, you know, uh, delivery. And so this is this is the inter- the ET um, uh, delivery system. But the problem is that who made the aliens that are delivering it then? Exactly. Yeah, it's just a new it's just a new <laughs> way to explain evolution, basically. Yeah. 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 Well, that would that would fit right in with this. You got to remember this came this this stuff came back in. Um, you're talking in early 1900s. Yep, absolutely. So, um, just a couple other quick, uh, other strange beliefs within the Arantia book that's kind of biblical. Satan and Lucifer are actually separate beings, um, and there, and neither of them are the real deceiver or the uh, the one who brought the deception to the world, but but underlings of somebody else called Caligastia. Caligastia was uh, was the one who actually started the rebellion on Earth to rebel against the uh, Almighty God. Hmm. So and it's just like the devil to redirect blame, right? So I, I didn't do it; he did it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, there's no more demons on the Earth since Jesus's time, so none of the none of the demonic things that you've seen since uh, for the last two thousand years 
has anything to do with reality, that it's just um, psycholo- psycho- psychological issues, right? Yeah. Now, like I said before, Adam and Eve weren't the first, hum- first humans. They were biological uh, uplifters. Mm-hmm. To, uh, has something to do with that then? What's that? Lilith. You know, I don't, I've never seen anything in, yet in the Rancher book about Lilith, but there is a definitely, um, a mother, mother God spirit, um, within sure. the book. Yeah. Yep. So they don't, they don't say Lilith per se, but mm-hmm. you, you've got, you've got this mother, this mother God, uh, motif going on all through the book. Yeah, probably that motif goes right in line with goddess worship then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that ties it all in right there. Yep. Absolutely. See, it's more the con, the basic generic concepts that have been personalized through other, um, bastardizations of the truth. Yep. Exactly. That have more specifics, but they're all interrelated to the same origin. So that's how probably universally important that whole concept of, I would almost put the Arantia book equal to Helena Bobotsky's, um, secret doctrine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. And I'm going to, well, I was going to talk about her in a bit. Mm. So, um, one other real quick thing was, uh, the, the two, just to let you know, the two first humans were, like I said, Adam and Eve. It was a pair called Andon and Fanta. They were the first humans. They were actually twins. Um, it's just <laughs> so Andon and Fanta instead of Adam and Eve. So once again, poking at the biblical account. Um, and so basically what happens when you die? So when you die, you start, you start off and you go to the, you go to various worlds. And this is where the kind of the Mormon thing falls in. Mm. Um, you, you would go to, so when you die, you go to the very first mansion world, they call it. So, you know, God said that, or Jesus said that he has many mansions, right? right. For right. us. Well, they use that, they use that idea and, uh, we get your new body in the resurrection hall. Within 10 days, you visit with old family and friends, and you begin your progression towards, I believe, what you could say is deity, right? You you, you go throughout the millennia. I mean, this, they're talking millennia of, of learning and, and growing until you get to the Isle of Paradise. The Isle of Paradise is ultimately heaven, where heaven would be, where God would be. Um, and, so you're like creating a, nirvana, then, is what you're doing. You're, is there, you're, you're approaching you're, this place, is there a little guy that goes the ship, the ship? The plane. <laughs> the plane. <laughs> um, but you know, the interesting thing is that is that it, it, you know, I brought that up with with uh, with a guy online once about that on your ranch, and, and and I said, you know, how do you deal with with what Jesus said on the cross with the thief? And he didn't. He he said today. You will be with me in paradise. Uh-huh. Your version says it's going to take me millennia to get there. Right. <clears throat> so uh-huh. anyway, so, so to sum it up, sum it up, someone with no Bible knowledge um, can easily get caught in, could get caught up into this. Absolutely. Right? Okay. So that's pretty much uh, your answer doctrine. So I'm sure we put everybody to sleep on that one. <clears throat> Let's uh, let's take a real quick look at the origin of the Urantia book because that's what's really kind of interesting. Where where did this come from? I mean, where did this information come from? So way back in about 1906 or 1911, some of the some of the uh, historical um, um, 
different takes on how your ranch your uh, book was started has a couple different dates. We'll just stick with the 1911 uh, date was uh, there's this gentleman named Dr. William Sadler. He was a psychiatrist. He was a brilliant man. He was uh, a seventh day Adventist at the time. Um, and he was just sitting there one night and his friend's wife came over and banging on the door and says, um, my husband, I can't wake him up. He was speaking in another voice and I can't wake him up. Can you come and help us? So he went over there and they tried to, tried to wake this guy up and he went in and, and then, then he realized that the guy was trying to say something and he says, well, who are you? And the guy says, he claimed to be a visiting student from another planet. Huh. And they said, you know, so that's how this whole thing started was this guy would at nighttime, he would fall asleep. It was kind of similar to Edgar Casey. Edgar, Edgar Casey. He'd fall asleep and, and he would have, he would have no recollection of it, of it at all. Right. Afterwards. Right. Um, so what they decided to do was he was really, you know, being a psychiatrist, he thought, oh, this is an interesting case. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try to figure this out. And the process basically was they and a group of, um, five other people, they call him the contact commission. They become very, very important within your ranch history. This contract contact commission was basically, uh, Dr. Sadler himself, his wife, Lena. Um, the sleeping subject and his and her uh, his wife, so that's four. His son Bill Sadler and a scribe that they had. It was a, a woman named Christy that actually took the stuff down that this guy was saying. Uh-huh. So they would go there at night. They would they would hear they would hear the thing and they would ask questions. The 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 entity would speak back and they would ask him questions. And in fact, one of the things that really started this was the. The entity said, why are you asking me such stupid questions? You know, you wouldn't realize who you got here if you knew that I could I could give you the information of the universe. You need to ask more intelligent questions. So that's how they started asking questions about, you know, what is who is God and what is what is the universe like and, and are there other planets, blah, blah, blah. So those those questions came up uh, over time. And this went from about 1911 to 1934. So wow. multi- multiple years of, of this where this back and forth stuff happened. And then there was also some other strange things where papers would just show up. Um, really? Handwritten documents. Handwritten documents would just show up uh, after they asked the questions instead of the guy talking it back. So there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of strangeness going on within the original um, how the Urantia book was actually compiled. Um, but but after 1934, actually from 1924 to 1934, they had this group called the Forum. So um, Sadler used to have a group of about, I don't know, 30 or 30, to, I think they said 30 to 70. People would come over on a Sunday afternoon and they would study the papers, all of the stuff that they were getting from these revelators that were telling them all this information about the universe. Um they would they would actually draft those papers and they would give the revelators new questions and this would go back and forth for um, for years. So the contact commission was really the only group that actually saw the sleeping subject. 
So nobody else knew of this of this guy's identity, and his identity to this day is unknown. Nobody knows who this guy is. There's a lot of speculation. One of them is speculation is it was Edgar Casey, but um, some of them think it was actually Dr. Sadler himself, and some of them think some others other folks. And I'll explain that here in a minute. Huh. So <clears throat> the original receipt of Revelation was the forum. The group initially came together in 1923 in Sadler's home. They discussed all of these papers, and they began to put the papers together. So that's how the Arantia book was formed. Huh. Mm. Um, wow. On the subject of the sleeping subject, um, Dr. Sadler actually wrote many psychiatric books. He was a, he was a big, uh, he, he was a, in contact actually with Freud at the time. He was a big Freudian philosophy kind of guy. <clears throat> And he wrote this, uh, and I found it quite profound. So uh, let me go ahead and read this. He says, while the sleep, I'm talking about the sleeping subject, seems to be of quite natural order, it's very profound. And so far, we've never been able to awaken the subject when he's in this state. The body is never rigid, and the heart action is never increased, although respiration is sometimes remarkably interfered with. The man is utterly unconscious, wholly oblivious to what takes place. And unless told about it subsequently, he never knows what he had said. He's been used as a sort of clearinghouse for the coming and going of extraplanetary personalities. In fact, he is more or less indifferent to the whole proceeding. So whoever this guy was really didn't care about it. And he shows a surprising lack of interest in the affairs as they occur from time to time. Much of the material secured for the Ranchi book through this subject is quite contrary to his habits of thought or to the way in which he's been taught. I remember these both guys were, both of these friends were raised through the Seventh-day Adventist church. Right, right. This was, a, this was really outside of their normal paradigm and to his entire philosophy. In fact, much of what we have secured, we have failed to find anything of its nature in existence. Its philosophic content is quite new and we are unable to find out where this has ever been found. So Sadler was, you know, at the same time he was, you know, kind of, being a scribe and taking down all the stupid and doing the discussions, he was still got a little bit of a skeptic in, in, in a way. And so we have no real records of what each session did. We have no idea of what actually happened in each one. But it's kind of interesting. Being of the Seventh-day Adventists, the beliefs you know, of Sadler and of somebody who they think may have been the, um, the sleeping subject. We'll talk about him in a second. Um, there was a lot of there's a lot of Seventh Day Adventist uh, beliefs within the Arantia book. Um, also, what you also find in the Arantia book is that they're very pro eugenics. So you have to remember this was about the time of Margaret Sanger and, and that whole thing. Right, mm-hmm. right. So eugenics was a big a big thing within uh, society, and um, you can just tell from Sadler's beliefs that he was. Definitely viewing uh, blacks as as what he would call inferior stock. So some of, some of those of eugenics things that were in his thought somehow bled into the Arantia book, or the revelate the revelators kind of led him on in that way. Right, right. So so some of his earlier published books show him to be kind of a racist and a proponent of eugenics, which um, are given the full endorsement by the revelators. Um, with tips of scale, though, is 
you know, both of the Sadler and, the, and this person whose name is Kellogg were one-time Adventists who actually were expelled from the church in 1906. Really? The church, the church kicked them out. Yeah. Wow. And it was right after that that these sessions started. Oh, um, boy. And the Urantia book authors, who, who, the revelators, whoever did this, they fully endorse the doctrines of soul sleep, the annihilation of the wicked, and the, denials of hell, the denial of hell, which is kind of uh, Seventh-day Adventist um, theology. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So let's go back to the Contact Commission for real quick here. So the Contact Commission was consisted of, of course, Sadler, his wife, um, his son, Anna Kellogg, and this, and Wilfred Kellogg. Um, and so that's where they believe that this sleeping subject is actually this gentleman called Wilf, Wilfred Kellogg. And yes, it is that Kellogg. I know, I know it is. I'm from Michigan. <laughs> so, yep, yep. So they, the Kellogg cereal. Um, the Kellogg yeah, cereal. Absolutely, so yeah. It was, it was their cousin that actually brought out the, the Kellogg cereal. So Very interesting. Oh, yeah. Bob, I'm blowing my mind. I'm being quiet here. I, I want to hear you out more and more, but I see so many connections to this. It's incredible. It's just amazing what I'm what I'm seeing, from, hearing from you. There's a lot of tentacles, isn't there? Yeah, oh, there God. Is. Oh, my God, yes. And I think I, I think Eric and Dave, you guys are probably just as speechless as I am, seeing all these different connections. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Your book, you know, I said your book. Are you you're planning on having a book, right? Yes, I'm actually beginning to write it now. Uh, I can tell you right now, Eric, Dave, and I, whatever we can do to promote it, to help it, this is an important work. I just I know it is. So continue on. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, so um, let's go back to Dr. Saller. So let's, let's kind of get an idea of, of where um, where he was coming from. So he he at the end of this said basically our super our superhuman friends spent um, upward of two decades in extending our cosmic horizons, enlarging our theological concepts, expanding our overall overall philosophy. He said he never realized how much our religious thinking had been expanded until the papers began to arrive. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a guy who was a Seventh-day Adventist right. now saying that, that his, his his mind was blown and he's, he's believing this. As the revelation progressed, we came more fully to appreciate how we've been prepared for the vast alteration of our religious beliefs by these wow. preliminary contexts over a period of 20 years of pre-education. And and that's that's where I went in and I, and I did a... a, a Looked at the statistical analysis of, I told you before about, um, about being able to comparatively analyze the book to figure out how many authors, because people are trying to figure out, you know, did Sadler write this thing or, or, or was he really receiving this stuff from, from entities out there? I believe it's a, it's a mixture of both. Um, but like I said, this, this study, this most stellar and Wallace study of stylometry indicates there is at least nine authors involved. And I think that that is a key number. Oh, you just said that, and I'm thinking, okay, the nine. <clears throat> exactly. So, um, so as he provisionally accepted the validity of the of the Arantia contact, he was he was you know relatively from early date he was still a skeptic. It took him like 30 years before he actually he decided he was really all in on this thing. And I believe you know that there had to be a supernatural component to this. A lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people like 
Martin Gardner, um, Michael Heiser, that both of them believe that this was totally a, um, a human construct. I, I don't believe that. I believe that it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a supernatural origin in the beginning. Absolutely. And, 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 they, and they may have added, <clears throat> they may have added stuff towards the end. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about the Arantia, uh organization as, as a whole and, and what they do for their evangelization. So you, you, you'll be kind of interesting. Of course, they have a large internet presence. You go in and you, and you, um, Google Urantia, mm-hmm. the Urantia book, and you'll get thousands and thousands of hits. They've got multiple sites. They're in their, in their websites are stellar. Uh, and one of the things that I found out from most of the people that are, are involved with the Urantia book is they have a, they're very highly intelligent. And I believe that the Arantia book actually, te- you know, it, 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 it speaks to that intelligence. They, they like that. It doesn't speak to their heart, but it speaks to the, to understanding bigger things, right? Gnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's multiple translations. I, I don't know how many now there is now, but there's multiple translations throughout, the, throughout the world. The Arantia book is currently now in the public domain. They lost a court case, um, where, they were trying to uh, copyright the book, um, but since they couldn't, since they couldn't agree on who the human author was, they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't do that. So <laughs> it, it, it ended up being in the public domain. So you can use anything in the Arantia book in your, in your, um, in your critiques of whatever, and you're, you're not going to violate anybody's um, copyright. So good enough. They have a very big internet online school that's up and running and and putting in people right and left. And one of the things that's kind of interesting is they infiltrate churches to look for opportunities to invite. So the majority of the, um, from what I can tell, because I've listened to a lot of podcasts on, on, on how they, how they operate. Um, they will, will go to a, a church and they will get involved. And mostly churches that are not evangelical, but more, uh, Protestant mainline churches or Catholic, and and they will they will look for opportunities to invite people to their to their study groups. Ones that have more of a liturgical service kind of a yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 and, and the most interesting, I mean, you 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 actually said this, Dave, and then it has something to do with Mormonism, because um, there is there is something in the Book of Mormon called the Greater Record to Come. And we'll talk right. about that in a second. But the Book of Mormon contains a whole bunch of prophecies regarding this great record to come. And it asserts the Book of Mormon as the lesser, the lesser portion that was revealed in the last days, the days when all things would be revealed concerning time, space, and origins, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the Mormon church is, is ripe for um, evangelization, evangelization with the Rancher book because it, a lot of their doctrines are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, now the, the LDS church no longer open and acknowledges this greater record to come, but there's a lot of people, um, that are in the organization that still do right. because basically I think, uh, I think Joseph Smith said that there was two thirds of sealed plates that he was not allowed to translate. Uh huh. So he was not allowed to translate and, and they basically pro- proposed that the Arantia book is those. Um, yeah. And, and so here, here's the here's the passage in 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 Third Nephi 26, and it basically says, and when they shall have received this, 
which is expedient that they should have first to try their faith. And if it is so, that they believe these things, then shall the greater record of things be manifest unto oh, them. Oh, boy. So yeah. it, it, it's it's primed for that. In fact, there's, yep. a, there's a big... Uh, uh, your Mormonism is is got a big transhumanist proponent now. Right. right. Um, they act. They actually had the Rancher Book uh, Fellowship at their transhumanism uh, meetings, and they really? actually up kind of bringing in. So I don't know. I don't know where this is going within Mormonism, but uh, there's definitely some uh, some strange things going on in the area of Mormonism. In the Catholic Church, they claim that uh, uh, the uh, miracle at Fatima, that there's still an unread, unspoken part of the last part of a prophecy um, that has yet to be revealed. The Vatican has said that there are literature that they are not allowed to share yet, but they will someday. I mean, this ties into everything. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to hear that one. I, I can I can guess where that's going to be about. Yeah, really. <laughs> when they have a, yeah, a telescope uh, up on top of a mountain called Lucifer, uh, and they're waiting for that special magic moment, and they're going to get the heads up first before anyone else. Yeah, it kind of ties in with everything. All of it. And, and uh, let me ask you a question, Bob, and, and hopefully I'm not jumping ahead or anything, but Urantia also, it sounds a lot like the, the planet Uranus. And Uranus was the the good the god or and father of the uh, Titans in Greek mythology, and then that, that kind of ties into the the Nephilim, you know. You're so. not you're not you're not uh, you're not mistaken with that. A lot of people believe that that's where the original name was, the kind of derivation of that original name. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this has got an unbelievable amount of connections, like an octopus. It's it's going. Oh. Yeah, I think it's a linchpin for for a lot of things that's going to be happening in the future. Absolutely. Too. Yeah, I do believe so. It would surprise me the connection with Edgar Casey. It's just too. It's got you know it. It wouldn't surprise me one bit because that's just one example of other connections. Gene Roddenberry being another one of the connections. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Roddenberry actually is has been known to be a reader of the Rancher book. Oh yeah. Wow. So um. Looking at looking back at uh, the Rancho religion or the Rancho folks that are there, it's kind of interesting. They have they have all the schisms that we have within Christianity with uh, you know um, sola scriptura folks or or charismatic or 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 you know going beyond the scriptures for for um, for revelation. Right. So so within within the Rancho group itself, I'm sorry, what? They have fundamentalists and Pentecostals, huh? <laughs> exactly. So they have a they have their sola scriptura folks, so sure. I should say solo Urantia book folks, yeah. where the written revelation from the celestials is only accepted. They have the more charismatic folks who attend Christian churches to worship. And um, I heard a Urantia book podcast one day that they were actually praising Bethel Church and Brian McLaren, saying uh. that they were the, they were the they were the best. These are the these are the real Christians. Go Is listen Bethel to these Redding? guys. Bethel Redding, yes. Oh yeah, here we oh, go. Oh boy, <laughs> you do not surprise me by telling me. <laughs> I didn't think I didn't think I would. I actually listened to your guys' podcast on the Bethel stuff. So. Birds of a feather flock together. Um, wow. The other thing, uh, the other thing is uh, the third 
part of that is that ever since about the 2000s, there's a splinter group that has spun off of the Arantia group called what they call the teaching mission and the magisterial mission. <laughs> and these guys are actively now still in contact with the celestials who gave the, um, the original Arantia book. So these guys are still channeling beyond what happened back in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the interesting things that have come out of the current channeling, and this will go into what you guys are talking about, is that, uh, is that, is that they're, they're looking for the next, um, the next leader to come, to come upon the earth, right? That they're, mm-hmm. that, that the earth is within this correcting time and that, um, this, this, this involves, uh, what they call a magisterial mission. So somebody's coming in the event, the, the, the advent of this magisterial sun on earth. They call this person Manjuransen. It's a celestial being of fairly high rank assigned to earth to help further our advancement, prepare for the new paradigm, the coming era of life and light and prepare the way for the sometime return of Christ Michael, who was promised to return. And I can't tell you how much I, when I read this, I think of Maitreya and Benjamin Krim. Oh, that's sure. just, as soon as you said that name, I was thinking of, <laughs> you know, it, it's, 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 it's identical. So the themes that, that these people are getting from the so-called revelators, it's all the same stuff. Yep. Right. right. One of them, one of them said that, that Monjuranson will help us clean and prepare us for the return of Jesus. That Jesus will return for his beautiful spotless bride, us, meaning them, mm-hmm. after the bride is prepared. So this goes to uh, the possibility that there is a rapture of somebody else before us. Uh, yeah, ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding. Right? I've been saying that for a long time. You've been saying that for 30 yeah. years. I This is the same stuff that they're getting from their from yeah. their so-called spirit people, their guides. So, so oh, phony New Age rapture. Yeah, yeah, they're going to the Feast of the Beast. The only problem yep. is they're the ones on the menu. Yep. <laughs> they're not yeah. coming back. <laughs> so I did a study. I did a study on uh, – there was a book that was written called How I Found the Arantia Book, and it's basically uh, 250 people got in there and said their own personal testimony as to why they believe the Arantia Book is 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 the truth. And it was kind of interesting what I had found. So out of this 250 people, um, 23 of them said that they had some kind of heart change when they read the Arantia Book. Um, 26 of them said they really struggled with the blood atonement in the Pauline doctrines, right? Yeah, I could get that. Um, 22 out of, out of them also said that they had previous non-Christian revela- uh, religions. They were probably Hindu, Islam, you know, those kind of things. So, yeah. But the interesting thing is that 108 of them said they had previous Christian involvement within the church. Really? So these, these are people that are, they're churchgoers that have decided to spin off and, and go into this, um, Basically, because 28 of them actually had struggled with the mainline doctrines. Mm-hmm. 34 of the people that, that wrote this, these books or these um, testimonies said that they, uh, they thought it was not true when they were reading it. They really did. They thought this is a bunch of garbage. But they kept reading the Arantia book, and by the time they were done with it, they were convinced it was true. So there goes into the thing about, well, you know what? You, you, you uh, there, there's a supernatural kind of draw to this book that causes people to to abandon their original beliefs. 
Right. Some said they had a mis- mystical experience during reading the book, um, uh, poltergeist activities, um, stuff, you know, entities showing up, uh, shadow people. I don't the, doubt that. Yeah. You know, a bit. while they're reading, while they're reading it. And 33 of them heard it through the occult or UFO circles. So really? there you go. Yep. Of course, you, you didn't you mention that you said they were they were proponing it down in in Roswell, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you would walk down the aisles. <laughs> There's this one guy that was promoting it, um, and right next to him was the guy that was promoting a, a, his version of the Bible. He had he had rewritten and corrected all the wrong things, but uh, right next to him was the guy that was selling the Arantia book and uh, would be there to explain anything that you wanted to know. And frankly, I didn't care at the time. I wish I would have paid more attention and asked them more questions, but um, I'm getting all the answers I need tonight. <laughs> uh, going off into uh, an, another um, discussion about the Arantia book is the, uh, the, um, the idea of plagiarism, because as it, as it looks like, there is substantial plagiarism going on within the Arantia papers. Um, there is a gentleman called Matthew Block, and he's got a website. He's a he's a, a well-known Arantian. He's he still he still believes in this in this revelation. Yet uh, he's got a book uh, website called theArantiaBookSources.com, and he says at the time of this writing, I have identified 125 books which were used in the writing of some 150 Arantia papers. Wow. The source texts were all published in English, and the source authors, authors were, with few exceptions, Americans or Britons born in the 19th and 20th centuries. The most extensive use of this was Sumner and Keller's four-volume book on science of society, a predominant source of uh, papers was in part three, with, when they talked about the science of the Urantia book. Um, there was also God in Ourselves is Unique that it was used in three parts. And it was a 1931 book by Edwin Lewis called God and Ourselves that was used in there. So major portions of the papers have plagiarized information. Yeah, without right? including the sources, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 and that's why a lot of people that end up getting into the Arantia book and studying it will outrightly deny it as a, a, a source because it's, it's got plagiarism in it, right? I mean, Mike Heiser, Mike Heiser was, was, was big on that. He did, he doesn't believe that there is any supernatural component to it, but I believe that there is. And I, and I believe that, it, that by reading the Jesus papers, you actually find that you find that spiritual component in there. You know, uh, Bob, one thing I think that, uh, and I had this in my book that people are going to fail to understand some of these things. We're dealing with an enemy that lives and exists and travels beyond time and space. They can go before an event or after an event and put in whatever they want, whenever they want. And we're not understanding that because our minds are locked into linear thinking. And we got an enemy that's beyond the linear thinking. So as long as we think linear, especially when we're seeing anything up at, you know, from a biblical preview, uh, you know, perception, looking at anything that's going on in heaven, that's outside of time. Stop thinking linear. You can't think linear. You're going to get tripped up every time by an enemy that is playing games with you one of the five i wills in in uh it says in uh, isaiah about satan's ultimate plan i will be like the most high be like literally means that he is going to transimpose going before or after when zeitgeist first came out with their material i had pastors calling me up chilled to the bone 
just shocked, like, oh my gosh, the Sumerians, is it true? Did did they Christianity borrowed from, from the Sumerian? I mean, this theme is I said, relax, William, please relax. What does the word say in Revelation? Before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. What does that tell you? That says that God had a plan even before he created man. And it's always God has always been in control, always will and control. He's not out of control. There's no arm wrestling going on in heaven to determine what's happening. It's already been done. We have won because Jesus won. So you don't have to worry about it. There's always an answer in the word of God. It clearly defines all of this crap that's been going on. The devil uses the same tactics, the same methods, the same everything. That's why there's such a commonality with what they have. So whether who who um, plagiarized who really isn't the important issue. The important issue is this stuff is being presented. People are believing it. And they're leaving their faith because they have a weak foundation for their faith. Why do they have a weak foundation? Because Christianity is afraid to even address some of these issues. And we're not coming up with good answers. That's why, Bob, we need your book to address all of these things so that it can be explained through biblical terms to show how God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, never changing. And the victory has already been ours because he already won the victory. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and on the subject of plagiarism, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I thought, well, how does how does the Arantia Foundation, how do they deal with that? Right. Mm-hmm. Because because that has to be a big problem for them, that they're that they're so-called revelation from from uh, from angels or for some uh, celestial entities uh, has stuff in it that that was written in the 1930s. Um, and they basically say the charge has been been made before. I suspect it's been it's an attempt to some someone to bring down the revelation. Um, and it says plagiarism is a human concept. And they say, who are we to hold ET celestials not to borrow or plagiarize our works if they're trying to communicate something of such extreme importance to us? I mean, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I wonder if that's been addressed in the uh, extraterrestrial act. You know, that they can do that. Um, I don't know. Did, did, when they use, um, when, I'm assuming that they quote scripture. Um, yes. When they quote scripture, do they quote uh, any particular um, version of it, or is it uh, a mishmash of all different versions? You know, that's a very good question. I don't know. I don't. And I've I've looked at the the scripture quotations within um, the section four about the Jesus papers. But that, that's something I need to look into because I'm wondering whether or not, yeah, is it King James? Is it what, what? There, of course, if it was in the 1930s, there was a lot less versions then. Yeah. Well, right. there was the American standard and things like that. But the reason <laughs> I asked that is because, um, anything but the, the King James version is, uh, public domain in the United States. However, it is the, it is copywritten to the crown in England and, in, in, and I'm assuming in Australia and, and all the other countries that used to be part of England, uh, the empire. And, um, and anything other than the King James that we have here in the States or they had until the 1930s was, is also copywritten because there's been changes. Uh, ah. anytime you make changes, you know, you're, it's, you look yeah. in front of, look in front of the NIV, the NAS, uh, you, you name it, uh, and it'll also, it'll, it'll have a copyright date. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, 
So, um, you know, there, there's another case for plagiarism right there. But, Bob, one thing I, that's been nagging me, and i got to ask you before I forget it because I, I do that. Um, you mentioned that he wrote to Sigmund Freud, um, and it seems to me like he would have reached out more to uh, Carl Jung because Carl Jung was the one that was involved in all the, the metaphysical stuff when it came to psychology or psychiatry. Is, is there any mention of him reaching out to Carl Jung? There's no mention of him reaching out to Carl Jung, but his, but you see you see Carl Jung all throughout his writings. Yeah, okay. yeah, so, I kind of um, thought so. I mean, other than other than the Arantia book itself, I mean the I mean Dr. Sadler, being a psychiatrist, of course, would would constantly be uh, talking in that realm, right? Right, mm-hmm. right. But you're absolutely right. I'm just surprised that a psychiatrist would even delve into that realm because. Nowadays, you know, I I, I kind of work in that field, and um, all you got to do is mention God, and you get raised eyebrows from a psychiatrist. You know, it's like yeah. getting ready to write orders for you to be staying there. You know, it's yeah. Well, you got to remember this was back in the '30s, so it wasn't so prevalent then. You know, there were people still that claimed to be Christians that were heavily involved in the in psychiatry. Right? That's true. That's true. It was a little bit different times back then. Yeah, but, but anyway, yeah. that's a yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was good. It's all right. It's something to call until later. Oh no, go ahead and ask it. No, I was just going to say the eugenics part and Margaret Sanger is is very interesting. Um, as a nurse, you know, we were taught that Margaret Sanger was basically a patron saint. Um, nurses uh, basically, you know, worship her um, because they don't know about her, or either that they do know and they don't care about her, her racism and her eugenics and wanted to basically eliminate the Negro race. And and the fact that that's in that book, um, and it's also in Darwin's book too, because if you read the subtitle of the Darwin's book, it ends it ends uh, in the selection of uh, favored races. Yep. You know? So yep. it, it doesn't really surprise me that, that that component is in there, but uh, it, it surprises me that people can't see it or they ignore it or they – you know, they, they 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 just choose to look over it for the bigger message. You know what I mean? Africa is not a really good place to take the Arantia book and try to do any evangelization. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, the, the connection with eugenics and Adolf Hitler it, with Margaret Sanger is just it's there. It's history. You're not pulling stuff out of thin air. Um, and, and that it's never heard on any historical narration or anything about her. Uh, it's, and it's just crazy because you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to find the connection. It's there. Um, but you'll never hear it in mainstream anything. You know, they no. cover that up. They, they don't want you to know that there was an association. Yeah. Yeah. Because why? Because, well, that's the end of the rainbow for eugenics. And she was a part of And Hitler admired her for her stand on eugenics. He copied yeah. much of what she was doing for his own utilization to eliminate the Jews off the planet. The final solution was actually birthed in America. Yeah, yeah it was. Yep. Uh, my question, uh, maybe you don't know this, but did Hitler know about the Arantia book? I don't know. Good you question, know, huh? now, I'm probably the, the guy that should know that, and I'm almost sure that he did. He had to have known it because all of his associates, occultic associates, um, Steppendorf, um, many others, were definitely grounded and motivated by the, the philosophical essence of the, the Uranus. Yeah, there was a there was definitely a 
component of that going on in in uh, Nazism. So yeah, I, I I've never seen anything actually said it, but I wouldn't doubt if, if that he had some kind of inkling to it. No, I I don't think historically there's any <clears throat> Hitler ever said anything in reference to that book. But all of his henchmen, all of his uh, Heinrich Himmler, they were all well aware of all of that and a lot of uh, Nazism based on Helena Bobaski, even Helena Bobaski. In connection, I mean, it's just in total harmony. Um, she would probably be included in some of these latter day revelations that Urantia uh, is trying to proclaim. Very good point, Jim. <clears throat> very, very good. Very, very good. <laughs> well, I mean, because I, that, well, let's, 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 let's flip the channel here and go away from the Urantia book and talk about channeling, channeling large channeled works throughout history, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, being being the geek that I am, being a technical geek, I I put everything in spreadsheets, right? I guess right. that's where I put them. So I I thought you know it might be good. I, I've done a study on Urantia, but let me look at some of the other large channeled works throughout, and say the last two or three hundred years, and see if there's any congruence to the story is in in, oh, yeah. in in timeline. And so I started to do that. I started to list them down down the line. So I listed, you know, Emanuel Swedenborg. It started way back in the 1700s with him. He he had a big no atonement thing going on with with his beliefs. Mm -hmm. and then of course Joseph Smith. You wouldn't say that Joseph, you know, the Book of Mormon was it a channel document? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because it was he used those glasses to interpret this. It was definitely a cult driven, yeah. right? Um. Then there was a whole bunch of them. And so I, I listed, you know, 10 or so of these people all the way to, to people today, including the Arantia book, and put it in there. I thought, well, I better put these on a timeline. And I put them on the timeline. And when I sorted it, my I almost fell out of my chair because I, I had I found that that whenever one whenever one channeled group like Swedenborg to Joseph Smith to Andrew Jackson Davis, to Blavatsky, to Newborough and in, in the Alaspe book, what all those, every time they did it, there was an equal possession. When one stopped, another one picked up. Mm. I actually have a timeline that actually shows that when one guy died or the revelation stopped, another one picked it up. Oh. And so you would think statistically, you'd look at that and say, if this was just mindless you know, guys thinking stuff up out of their mind, it wouldn't be as directed and so have such a steady flow throughout the century, right? Because mm -hmm. if you go back and you look at, at Swedenborg, he finished up in 1772, and then quickly, right around the early 1800s, Joseph Smith comes on. As soon as he's gone, Joseph Smith's there. When Joseph Smith moves on, Andrew Jackson Davis, the American prophet, he comes on and publishes his his book called The Dove. Principles of Divine Nature in, 19, in 1845. Huh. His last his last work was in the 1870s, right? And then right after Andrew Jackson Davis, here comes Helena Blavatsky, and she starts publishing her work. She she channels and publishes Secret Doctrine in the 18 1800s, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, 1880. And um, so right after her, uh, like I said, Nubro is the guy who wrote that that strange work called Oaspe. I can never I can never pronounce that right. 
It's a lot, it's a huge, it's a huge channeled work. Um, and he did that, uh, he did that in, in the 1870s and he finished up, uh, uh, right around 1880s when, um, Levi did the Aquarian gospel. So as soon as Newbro was gone, this guy named Levi comes along and he does this Aquarian gospel. And that was done in 1908. And that went on till uh, the early, late 1900s. Then right after, I mean, 1900s, 19, like I said, 1906, 1911s, when the Arantian book came in. And that was, that was pretty much the staple for channeled works all the way to 1934. 19, you know, they didn't actually publish the book until 1955. Uh, they actually finished uh, the last part of the Jesus papers was done in uh, arrived in 1935. The very last message that they claimed that they got from the so-called revelators that told them about all this stuff was in 1954. And I had laughed when I heard what it what they said. They basically said, OK, you're on your own. And then ended it and never they never heard from them again. So. They ended up publishing the Urantia book um, in 1955. And then, oh, what happened in, right around that period of time in 1948? Uh, the Psychic Center opened up and Andrea Pluharich meets Dr. Uh, Vinod, who channels the nine. And the nine channels all this information for for the next 30 years or so. Phyllis, Schle- Phyllis Schlemmer comes along, right? And she was a, a, one of the big... Uh, Proponent for for the the nine, some guy named Tom that she was uh, channeling, right? So she did two books called The Planet of Choice and The Nine, and that happened all the way until uh, Helen Schuchman actually did uh, A Course in Miracles in 1960, 1965. So there's a there's a steady yes, there's a steady progression every time one. So-called prophet ends, another one picks it up, and it was, and it's all the same theme. The last one that has has been on the scene that I can tell, and I can't. I mean, there's there's so many channelers now out there that there's so much noise, it's hard to understand mm. which one is really kind of leading the way. But I look at I look at it as as not just so much the channelers is is whether or not they're they're downloading massive data. Because every one of these people that I just mentioned before, they all downloaded huge works, right? Mm-hmm. The last one was a, a gentleman called Marshall Summers, Marshall Dean Summers, who actually has a, a ministry he calls uh, the New Message from God. And he has over 30 years of channeled stuff to this day. And uh, it this is really interesting. When I when I'm out on my uh, on my internet stuff, a lot of, a lot of the stuff I get isn't from your ancients, but but a lot of the returns that I get come from his group. This new message from God, people that are proponents of of his of his so-called prophecies and, and source. Um, it says basically he channels he channels from what he calls the divine source. Um, the allies of her humanity is what what he calls one of them. Um, they, they were actually, this, this book that he has published was actually given to him by a so-called extra terrestrial entity. Mm-hmm. He's been channeling this stuff for the last 30, 40 years. Um, and it's kind of interesting. And part of this was corroborated by his son, his son Reed, who was, uh, 
a young man at the time said that he, uh, he, he said that he was listening to his father's door and he said, and, and, and unlike any voice he ever heard, he heard his father's name was mentioned and something about preparation. And then you Marshall, he says he pulled back from the door and sat there for a while and the voice continued speaking. So, and Marshall was the only one inside that room. So oh. there's definitely something going on there. And there's over 9,000 pages of these briefings. And this goes to what a lot about what maybe you and Jim um, have been talking about is because it be what, what Marshall is now changing. The, the story has changed. The story has changed from your rancher book where they're all benevolent guys that are coming to visit us, the, the galactic brotherhood to now that there's a darkness in the world. And there's a darkness that says basically that humanity has never faced before that the contact has begun and that the angelic realm is trying to tell us that this darkness is here. And that this, these entities, there's multiple ET entities coming and they do not have our, um, our best. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I, I really do believe that this guy is actually hearing from something because he's a, he's an interesting, he's a quiet guy. He, he, he doesn't seem to be, um, doesn't seem to be lying. I mean, he's definitely hearing from something, and I, I have a feeling that this the story is now changing because it's now the good alien, bad alien. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, there's multiple races coming here, right? And um, so that's that's changed. I had to leave for about a minute, and I don't know if you mentioned. Did you mention anything about uh, uh, David Spangler or or the Ashtar Command or anything? Because they they seem like they'd be really into something like this. They're definitely a, a, a part of the channeling thing, but but when I look at stuff, I'm looking at more of uh, works that are huge downloads, mm-hmm. so so books that are been compiled and written. There's exactly. like I, like I said, there's been so many other channelers out there. There's just there's so much noise out there that you can't focus on one. But a lot of the themes are really the same, and and and, and that goes to what I was talking about with this Marshall Summers, who I believe is the current new prophet that is trying to lead the way for the new age here is that, uh, you know, I, I, I wondered what, what does he think about Jesus? That's my question. That's right. my question. I always ask, you know, yeah. what does he say about Jesus? And so uh, I went on to his website and he says, as we remember Jesus, let's think of Jesus now as an angelic who took form, an angelic who became incarnate as they are capable of doing at any time or any place. To us, it looks godly. It looks godly, but anything remarkable looks godly. Jesus, too, was a messenger, and he struggled as a man and suffered as a man. He is not God, but he represents something tremendous and pervasive. So basically, the same theme in, in, in in the latest channeling stuff. And like I said, I don't think Marshall's intentionally deceiving his followers. I believe he's actually hearing this from uh, can we go back to one of the earlier ones? Um, the he's actually a PhD um, in psychology or psychiatry, I think. He was from India. Uh, yes, Doctor Doctor Vinod. Yes, Vinod. Yeah. Okay. Do you know who he was speaking all of these uh, uh, channeling for? The nine at time. Um, it was part of the defunct MK Ultra program. Really? Yes. Um, Dr. Gottlieb, uh, 
finally got a chance to do something that was legal. They brought the MK Ultra program back to the United States because they heard that the Russians were channeling so-called aliens and doing uh, remote viewing. And it kind of scared the heck out of us, especially when the remote viewing was very accurate. So <laughs> one of the men that was um, a forerunner on there was from India and was a Ph.D., uh, and he knew this other fellow colleague that was already channeling so-called aliens with the same kind of information. So they brought him right over, started a program called Project Penguin. Um, and in, in this program, he started channeling for the United States government. When he, the other guy from India realized that this was going to be more weaponized, more military-like, he wanted to make it a more friendly thing to outreach to people to inform them of what's to come based on what was being channeled to them through these so-called aliens. So he started a, a situation in his home that was more of a, um, a user-friendly, I guess you might say, with an end that would be not militarized. That way he could keep separate. He could still stay connected to the important program that he was a part of, but he could personalize it and make it more manageable as they got information. So one of the people that joined this organization was a man named Gene Roddenberry. Hmm. And he had this idea that this information was so important. He said, look, people are not going to accept it on a documentary, but if we can get entertainers involved that believe in uh, these concepts and get them to make a science fiction-based program to present these truths to people, to prepare them to accept this, it's important. We should try to do that. And they said, oh, that's brilliant. That's great. Well, he had a gift of gab and, and a way of making connections. He made it a reality because Gene Roddenberry was the author and presenter of Star Trek, all of the Star Trek series. Yeah. And so all of the Star Trek series, one of the things that, would, that from a biblical Christian perspective, we've always said is, well, if they're if if these people if these aliens are friendly why do they keep coming in the night in the you know alone away from people how come they don't just land on the uh, on the um, white house lawn and present themselves then this is why this is their answer yeah so it was through gene roddenberry because the prime directive prime directive <laughs> not interfere with a culture that has uh, not yet attained intergalactic travel once yeah. attained intergalactic travel they're going to find out there's a larger community so that is the time that we can open ourselves to reveal us. now they will intervene when it is the sake of of uh, life and death for that planet but they do it clandestine in incorporate themselves into society and help steer things from total devastation. So, I mean, this kind of logic permeates through the whole thing. There's and another, there's, there's another, there's eight. another tentacle, right? Yes. And so there's nine. What, what they're told is that there were nine sections to the universe, nine God-like entities that were in control of those sections. One of them was Jesus Christ in the section that is earth where earth is contained. And so everything we learn in, in um, all of Star Trek is literally pertaining to the coming cosmic Christ. So my I'm I'm just, when I made that connection, I'm just reeling because I've been a Trekkie ever since the first ones ever came out. It breaks my heart in a way to know that this is part of the end time deception, that the coming cosmic Christ, my God, is going to have a communicator. That's a little Star Trek thing. <laughs> and. He's going to say, beam me up, Scott. I mean, my, oh, my. But you know what? That makes it so believable. Sure. 
Mike, it's all it's, it's all through our it's all through our society, right? Yeah, it is, and the connections are just unbelievable. So again, you know, you're showing all. It, it's literally like what I tell people: there is a spirit of antichrist. I think has been in a human host ever since going back to the Garden of Eden, and it's jumped from one person to another person to another person. That's why so many godly people make the claim: you know, this is it. Well, you know what? They're seeing the spirit of antichrist. And so it is very possible, I think, that that spirit has jumped into a human host physically on Earth at every given time, whether it be uh, Nimrod was an oddball situation. But that was, you know, one of the first probably going all back to Cain. Cain, I think, you know, was. But look at the shining example is when uh, the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas. Mm -hmm. And then it starts referring to Judas as the son of perdition. Mm hmm. That's the name of the Antichrist. Yep. Yeah. But then as soon as that spirit left him, what did he do? He killed himself. He hung himself because he was guilty of trying to help God out and figured he would force God into his situation. Jesus, he recognized Jesus as being God, but he thought God needed help and he was going to help out and force Jesus' hand because he didn't really understand it right. We do the same thing. It's the same mistake that Satan made. It's all the way down through. We cannot help God out. God is in control, always has been. We have to find out how ourselves fit into his. Judas didn't do that. And he allowed the very spirit of Antichrist to come in him. As soon as it left, he loved Jesus. He really did. He wasn't selling out because he didn't like Jesus or anything. He made a stupid mistake thinking just because he could understand what God was doing, that somehow God needed his help to force his hand. Man, the only thing we need to do is step out of the picture and let God do through us what we can't do ourselves. But he didn't understand that. And many Christians, even to this day, I'm not saying you're going to hell or anything, but I mean, when they think they got to help God out, God doesn't need any of our help. He needs us to help him get through us. The hope of glory is Christ in us. That means we got we got to know, not just know the word of God. We got to know him intimately, personally. What is the main theme? that all of them are talking about. It's a distant God that isn't personalizing anything with you. No, everything is all about a personal relationship. And that's what that's one of the main themes, Bob, that you're showing through all of this. Let, let me ask you a question. Um, you brought up you you brought up remote viewing in, in mm -hmm. what you were talking about before. What's your take on that? Do you think that that that? I know it's an occult practice and it's not to be done, but do you think that there's any truth to it? Absolutely, because it's biblical. Okay. There, there is a description about the silver cord in the scriptures, and that is in direct reference to astral projection. Now, me being a former uh, abductee, one of the results is sometimes you'll experience occult experiences that you don't have full control over. After I became a Christian, I got full control of it. I have experienced astral projection uh, three or four times in my life. The last time as a Christian, I took authority over it and it stopped and it has never happened again. That's good because I, I was I, I just emailed Josh Peck and uh, Stephen Bancars who actually did a thing on on that at one of the recent um, uh, shows that they did online. And they, they both, before they were Christians, actually dabbled in that. And I was I'm really curious because I ran across something. I wasn't really going to bring it up, but I ran across something on the Internet that kind of spun my head around and that was a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Brett Stewart who's a uh, a remote viewer and he 
he went in and he's got a whole crew. Uh, and I blogged on this on my website, and, I'll give, and you'll be able to, to look that up here if you if you want to. Um, it was actually a YouTube video there where he actually uh, remote viewed the origin the origin of the Arantia book, and I thought, what? What? <laughs> you gotta be kidding me! And so, so I'll, I'll do, uh, Dave. Do I have time to to go oh, on? Oh yeah, with this? plenty. It's, yeah. Uh, all right. Let, let me go ahead. Let me go. Ahead. It only take me a brief minute. I'll go ahead and, and read this to you because. The video's been taken down. So he was up there for about a month. He took it down, and I think he probably took it down from, from pressure from the Arantia group because they, they were, this completely went against what you would expect. I frankly, when I saw this, I thought, oh, they're, he's going to go in and tell what a good thing is, that this thing is. This is now a new revelation to mankind. That's not what he found. So let me go into this. So anyway, um, the video was created online, and I have a copy of it. So if you guys would like a copy of it, I can get it to you because uh, I because I downloaded it before he took it down. <laughs> Good um, <for> you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I do that with everything because these these things go away so fast nowadays. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he is a, he's an author, an entrepreneur and a consultant, and he has a company called The Technical Intuition. Wow. And he's had it since 2017, 2017. I don't know that much about um, uh, remote viewing. Uh, what Brett calls it is non-local perception. It's what he calls is a consciousness hacking tool. It's the only exposure I've ever had with this was Major Ed Dames on um, Coast to Coast years ago, right? Um, and that it was also dabbled with as, you know, you just spoke about um, about the CIA program, that they actually were dealing with that. Right. I have major concerns with the process, of course, of course, because it is a an occult process. But Brent went ahead, and he's got a whole group of people who actually remote view things, and then they they put down on paper what they what they get back from wherever, right? So what he found was he he began to give a really quick overview of the contents and origins of what he what he saw. His findings were six sessions that they did. Him and his, and his team remote viewed the Rancher book origins. And, and this, this is what blew my mind because this is not what I expected to come back. What he said he saw was a building or a research facility that's under the ground, a central hub. A communication is coming from there mm -hmm. and forecasting an arrival of something and that we are here. Secondly, they, he felt that he, uh, there was some life form there that was not human, human, but it was a, a, an entity that was a tangled entity, as he called it. He says there was also a prediction that we're on a dangerous path, that world disaster um, is, is coming. Okay. He also felt that when, when they were doing the session, that there was something foul there right. and that this facility was under the ocean floor. Mm. It said it had a, U, a United Nations kind of feeling. Yeah, this is not what I expected. <laughs> not at right. all. It's what we expect, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I'm, I'm going through this. And it says, so they went back and they said, well, well, who is sending this information? And he, he, drew, he drew an image. Somebody in his group drew an image of a, of a Christ-like figure it was illuminated, a, 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 some kind of a spiritual being. 
And this and um, this figure is transmitting information in a religious form. And the concept he the concept that he sees from this is something about an outside force descending on a planet with intent of conquering. And what he saw when they when they did a deeper dive, they did a deeper dive again. So he asked, well, let's go in and try to understand a little bit more. He saw four life forms standing around what looked like the earth in the center with outstretched arms, kind of overseers or watchful guardians, the watchers. Right? Oh, wow. Wow. The, yep. the, 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 the remote viewing team was asked to do an even deeper dive, and they said they felt an anger of hate, a contempt for humanity, and what they saw was a mantis alien with slanted eyes. Oh, my gosh. And there was a mantis-human hybrid to conquer the planet to replace humanity. <laughs> and, and I'm yeah. looking at this going, what? Are you serious? <laughs> this is not what I expected. I expected him to give, give me the completely different thing. But when they, and this guy's probably not a, your ranch, a rancher follower, this is what they got back. Wow. Man, that just, uh, and you know, the four that are looking there, there's four main angelic non, uh, or four main angelic types that line up with four main alien types. One is the Nordic, the other is the uh, gray, one is the uh, reptilian, and the other one is the uh, uh, the mantis type. Yep. And they, you know, so call them alien or angels, they're one and the same. The Bible gives a definition of four types of aliens, uh, four types of angels, and the UFO community gives us four types of alien, four major types of aliens. They say there's thousands, but I mean, four major predominant ones. And in all of my counseling, the last 25 years, the four main types that I have dealt with are those four that we just mentioned. And the the mantis are the most vicious, they're the most unsympathetic, most sociopathic, and they seem to be the ones that are in major control. Although, however, I'd say that the the Nordics are the Nordics are ones that are absolutely in control. The reptilians are almost like the militarized um, version, the military. The Greys are the technicians, um, scientists. Uh, some of them will even say now they're just stumbling, bumbling little automatons, uh, robots. Well, I think that was their the UFO community's response once they saw what our uh, at the first. Um, First two or three Ancient of Days series, starting in 2003, four and five, um, there we were telling how they were, you know, far more superior than than uh, humans. That they had two brains, um, they could freeze people, they could uh, float people through, you know, walls into their ships, and they could pretty much uh, do what they wanted to all of us. And so their reaction was, oh, no, they're actually stupid, bumbling idiots that, you know, they're just like automatons that, that uh, have to be directed by the others. Well, no, not quite. You know, there does seem to be several different le- levels or variations of the grays. There are actually some that are called talls, which are actually normal human size. But the majority of them are the technicians and the engineers, the, the people that are actually doing most of the hands-on stuff. So... Four aliens, four angels. They're still the same. The Nordics seem to be the ultimate ones that are in ultimate control. Even again, even above the um, the uh, mantis type. But the mantis type, they're cruel and wicked. The 
I was victimized, I guess you might say, by the um, uh, the Nordics. And they're more about messing with your head, flattering you, saying that this is all for a bigger purpose or whatever, and you're part of an end-time purpose. Of course, that you know, I didn't announce that a lot in the past long time ago because I was afraid that, you know, people are going to just think, well, I'm part of their operation or something. But, you know, this was during the years when I was five to 12 years old. And then it stopped. When I got saved at 23 and I'm 68 now, most of my life has been exposing these things for what they really are. So I kind of think whoever's in there isn't working too well. Cause it <laughs> yeah, de definitely. And there, and there's, there's, kind of a, a strange congruence with the imagery in the book of Revelation, right? I mean, yes. when the angel sounds the fifth trumpet, right? Yep. And, and what, what they, what they saw, what they saw in the remote viewing team, you know, the, the mantis locust entities coming out. I mean, they said it was under the ground and, yep. and, and, and yep. the book of Revelation talks about them coming out of the earth. Yeah. With uh, with uh, locusts that had human faces, and 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 they had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, this yeah, this foul this foul entity that they say they that's down there that they can't see, but they know it's there, and they come out of the ground, they have to torment the, the earth for for five months. I, I looked, I read Revelation nine and ten after this, and I'm like, well, that's kind of bizarre because these people that did this remote viewing aren't Christians. They're not your ancient book followers, yet they just told us the story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? That's part of it. Yep. yep. They told us a part of the story, and it's, it's it, you know, I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know that much about remote viewing and whether or not there's any truth to it, but that was definitely, definitely not what I expected. <laughs> well, danger, the danger of that is it's real, but just because it's real doesn't mean it's real good. When you're out there, you're not in control of yourself. And you're not driving your own car. Many of these people, when they come back, they're not driving their own car. They made themselves vulnerable. They broke uh, a commandment from the Lord, not knowing that they did. But ignorance is no excuse. God has given us clarity on what to do, what not to do. When I was a young kid at five years old, I was enamored by the space program. I remember collecting the newspaper, and I still got it, when um, Yuri Gagorin, the first hu human being to orbit the Earth, or the Sputnik, I was following all this stuff at an early age. I was watching every one of the old uh, sci-fi movies on aliens and everything. And I remember one day looking up in the skies and saying, are you guys real? Are you here to uh, come and eat us or are you here to help us out? I, I really want to know. If you're up there, can you let me know? Man, that was an invitation. I yeah, just invoked. Kidding. <laughs> I just invoked. And, wow. and, and I was ignorant of it. I didn't know. <laughs> But uh, ignorance is no excuse. You know, I wasn't trained or raised up as a Christian, so I didn't know any better. So, I mean, I got my answer. I got my answer by starting to get abducted. I mean, so um, God is an infinite, infinite mercy, though. I mean, he, he's been there with me all, all the way through. But so this stuff is real, but it doesn't mean that it's real good. It's a snare of the devil. Right. Uh, the Lord has stopped us from doing certain things or having the the supernatural powers that we once had before the fall, because now that we're fallen, our sin nature is naturally going to just give us the wrong direction and the wrong ways and use and abuse. So he cut these things off not to master over us. He cut it to protect a loving father to his children. So while they were in their fallen state, you don't need to know how to do all this stuff. I had a new agent one time at a show argue with me and tell me, you know, well, that's not true. And I said, seriously, well, we got about 300 people in this room right now, right? I said, look at the, see where that guy's eyes are right now looking at that other man's wife. 
you know, because she's wearing a very short dress and she's, yeah, you know, you get the idea, right? Mm-hmm. Guy's not having really pure thoughts right now, is he? I said, now, how long do you think it would take if every, if we could all read each other's minds right now? How long do you think it would take for a total riot to break out? And he laughed and he says, he says, two seconds, maybe three, uh, something like that. And I, and I said, bingo, there's your sin nature. He looked at me, it was like the deer in the, caught in the headlights. I said, that's your sin nature. You are naturally inclined to miss the point. You can't control every thought, word, or deed in your life. And that's what God is trying to say. All have sinned and fallen short because we have a sin nature. He had no answer for me. Uh, he was dazed and confused after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, one question I got to ask, Bob, is that, you know, there's because of tonight's show, there's going to be people that are going to want to download or either – Either that or go to Kent, um, Amazon and want to buy up the book of Urantia out of, out of curiosity. And, and you mentioned earlier that some people that have read it have had, uh, some things run afoul in their lives. Um, first of all, do you think that it's, it's wise for them to do that? Um, personally, I think that if I were to do that, I'd be praying over the thing before I even brought it into my house. But, yeah. um, uh, what, what's your no. what's your thought about that? No, no, of course not. No, of course not. I believe this this book has um, not. I mean, all the way through the book, like I said, it it tries to demean the Bible and demean the Word of God all the way through it. Mm-hmm. So I, I would never ever ask anybody to go and, and look into that. Secondly, I think that there's some kind of spiritual component to it that I don't understand because it seems like this thing has a, a very supernatural draw. Hold on. Yeah. People start reading it. Like I said, those people said people start reading it and they go, oh, this is garbage. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, man, maybe it isn't. And before you know it, they're, they're, they're caught up into it. So, right. So no, I, 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 I wouldn't. I would attachments. You know, I, I've had things attached to, to other things. Um, a few years ago, uh, when I went down to Mexico, I, I picked up uh, some items and, and they were really beautiful paintings uh, done by the local people, and they were done on a tree, the back of a tree bark, which was really neat. And, and I bought them, and um, I kept them in my t- motel room down there. One night, my bed raised up in the air and then dropped. And I thought, oh, well, you know, Mexico <laughs> yeah. City, Mexico City earthquakes, you know, I mean, it's probably an earthquake. And didn't think anything about it. Then got it home, and uh, that the night I got home, I, my bed did that three times. And I was like... Okay, so I gathered up all the stuff, and you know, I didn't throw it out. I just prayed over it. I said, you know, this I bought this stuff. This is mine, and you have no hold over it. You, you know, you there, you can't attach yourself to it. This is a Christian household, so you got to get out of here. I did the same thing when I got a cook uh, a, a copy of uh, Morals and Dogma, original uh, yeah. copy. You know, I prayed over the thing because I, you know, Lord knows yeah. what what that person was into, and even the information that's in it. You know, and, and so I, you know, if I think if anybody were to do that, boy, you better pray long and hard before you ever bring it into your house. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure you would do it for research purposes, but like you warned, you know, there's, there's people that you thought, you know, or you heard about that were, you thought were pretty strong character and individuals and wouldn't fall for it. And then all of a sudden, by the time to get to the end of it, they're, they're convinced. So, uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you. It's probably not a good idea to do, even for research purposes, unless you're a very, very strong believer and and you have others in your household that can, uh, you know, have discernment, can pray and stuff like that. But uh, it's, it's and that's exactly and that's exactly what I do. I mean, um, when I'm working with or talking to the people on the internet, and I was working with my my mother-in-law 
same thing is, is prayer was central right. because if you, if, if you try to do it on just, you know, try to, uh, downgrade the, the Arantia book or whatever they're into, um, and don't point them to Jesus, you failed. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. If you don't pray for them and point them to Jesus, you failed because we're, we're supposed to be fishers of men and women, right? We're supposed right. to go in and, and, and that, and that's basically to sum up because it is getting kind of late to sum up, you know, what my ministry is, is about is, is, is I'm not here to just go in here and tell these people that, you know, what they're, what they're studying is, is garbage. My my thing is that there's a lot of truth within the Arantia book. Trust me, there is. But what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of there's a lot of error and there's a lot of bad things in there too that will draw you away from God. Right. And so there's there's souls in the balance, right? These folks that mm-hmm. that are there, they the doctrine of the Arantia book tells them that they're they're in. They're they have salvation. You don't have to you don't have to worry. And and I'm saying no, no, that that's not right because. Um, because, you know, Jesus died for you and he died for you for a reason. He didn't do it just to show you that you were, you know, that he was a good guy, right? right. He died for you because you're a sinner. And so that's where my ministry goes. And that's where my book is going to go is I want to really be more of the, you know, searching out and trying to, to help these people that are in it to get out of it. And I think that the best way to do that, and, that, and like I said, when we talked about before, the best way to do that is to continually just give them the truth. Right. You don't have to dwell on what, what they what they believe, but keep, keep giving them the truth. Keep giving them good reasons to believe why the Bible. I mean, that's one of the things that, that I do on my, my Facebook site is I'm constantly putting reasons to believe why the Bible, we can, we can understand that it's actually true, not that we just believe it. But there's right. sound reasons to believe that what we have today as a Bible is 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 here because God wants it to be here. Exactly. So, um, with, with yeah. having said that, um, why don't you give your contact information? I know you got a Facebook page, but do you have a web page? Uh, do you have an yeah. email yeah. that people can write uh, to you? The, or? The, the best the best way to, to contact me would be through uh, my uh, my website. It's one word: cosmicdeception.org. Everything that you can find that has to do with what we talked about tonight will be tied through there. My web, my website for my blog is tied there. My Facebook page is tied to that. The yeah. Facebook page is also Cosmic Deception. So you go to the CosmicDeception.org site, and you would be able to to, to contact me or just send me something through uh, through Facebook would be fine too. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, like you said, it's getting pretty late, and I am really surprised that uh, we still don't have a couple of pumpkins there on the other end. Of the <laughs> oh, I, I, look, you know, I got them fired up. Yeah, I so definitely. Thank you. you know, I, I had a uh, radio show I was supposed to do tonight, and I was would miss the first uh, first hour of it. I can see why I was not supposed to be there. I was supposed to be here, and I am so happy that I was. Man, this is boy, some light switches went on in me tonight, man. I can't wait to see your book uh, come out, but whatever we can do to help promote it too, because someday, oh, I, someday we definitely. Gonna, I knew Bob back when he didn't know. <laughs> Nobody. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I came. I came to you for help. Amen. <laughs> well, you know, it's us more. 
And you can still do that, Bob, if you need proofreading or anything else. You know, exactly. Just, well, that's where I was going to go is I'm going to need some people because I'm an engineer, right? And I, uh-huh. and I write like an engineer and I don't want to write like an engineer. So I need <laughs> someone to, I need someone to kind of say, well, no, try to say it this way because I sound a little bit like I'm, re- I'm writing a technical novel. <laughs> that's, yeah, I understand. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. Can do to help, man. And I'll work here for you because, uh, this has been exciting. Uh, this book is so much needed. It is. Mm-hmm. And we, it would definitely, Bob, uh, would like to have you back, uh, even if it's to talk about other subjects. Yeah. Yep. You know, cause you're a very uh, knowledgeable just, guy. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through your webpage and see what's on there. And I'm gonna probably invite you back to, to talk about other things too. Oh, so many areas. I can tell there's so many different directions we can take this. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I would, go on, go on, go on, uh, go and look through the, my, uh, my blog. My blog has, I don't blog that often. I blog maybe once or, in fact, I haven't blogged for almost over a year because I've been preparing and writing the book. So, um, mm-hmm. doing that and working full time is not a, an easy thing. Yeah. Um, trust me. I've been there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. If you have any other questions that come up, then yeah, let's get together and we can, we can chat them through. Okay. Sounds wonderful. Well, that haven't been said, folks. And, uh, and Bob and Eric and Jim, uh, we'll close it out and, uh, and, uh, folks, we hope you've enjoyed our program. Hope you've gotten a lot of good information out of it. I know you have, or else you weren't listening or you fell asleep or something. Uh, <laughs> but I can't see how you would have fallen asleep with all the no. things that were being said. That, that's basically impossible. But, um, anyway, Bob, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for, um, I'm just thankful that you had the time that today worked out really well. And, uh, it was, it was good to talk to you guys again. It's been a while. Yeah, definitely. And we're not too far away. So let's get together and, um, and break bread someday and, uh, just have a, have a pleasant time of fellowship. That'd be good. Be good. Okay. Well, um, until next time, folks, adios and, um, and the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you and to bring you peace. So all those things in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Good night, everybody. Good night.